Okay, could somebody read? We're just going to dive in at Second Timothy chapter three. Could somebody um, read from, let's say, verse ten to uh, verse seventeen? Thank you. <coughs> okay, so what are the scriptures good for? <laughs> yeah. Specifically, what are they good for? What does he actually say specifically? The first one what. For teaching, what does, what does the word teaching mean there in that verse? It means doctrine, actually. So for doctrine and for the teaching of doctrine. So the scriptures are good for knowing truth, knowing truth. Um, and so what's the second thing they're good for? Reproof. What's that? What does reproof mean? Not exactly cor correction, yeah, to know what's wrong. So the scriptures are good to tell you what's true and then to tell you what's false or not true. And uh, the third thing? Well, it's for correction. So uh, what does it mean to correct for correction? What does that mean? Yes, how to stay right. But So how to correct what you're doing wrong or what you've misunderstood or what you've been taught that's wrong. You see, the, th the thing is, a lot of people who study the Bible, they, um, they learn the truth, so they know what the truth is, and they can see what's wrong, but they don't necessarily not do what's wrong. They, they forget the truth, or they get caught, carried away in some sort of deception, and so they do what's wrong. So the scripture is also to bring you back from what was wrong on the road you went. So it's to correct your you know, your wrong walk or your wrong tangent. Um, and the last thing? Yeah, for training in righteousness. So what does that mean? What's that for then? Because think about what he's saying. I mean, you know, this is a, all scripture is God-breathed and, and suitable for this, that, and the other thing. And we, we can memorize that and know what it says, but really we need to really understand what he's trying to say to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and suitable for teaching, doctrine. So it's suitable for knowing truth. In fact, it's the only thing for knowing truth. It's suitable for showing you what is not true. It's suitable for correcting you if you've started to go the wrong way. And it's suitable for training you in righteousness, which means you have to keep reading. Keep reading, keep studying. It's not enough to say you know what it says because there's something about us as humans that, that we, we, we automatically go the wrong way because we automatically judge things according to our own thinking. And our own thinking sometimes is good, it's moral, it's ethical, so we can be fooled into thinking that that's the way God wants us to, to go. So that's what Paul's saying. All scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired by God. So it's unlike human thinking all the time. So even when you're, th you're thinking you're following what you know as the Ten Commandments, even that is skewed by your own thinking and your own morals and your own ethics. Because in the Ten Commandments, for example, you will rate what, co what commandment is more important than all the others. You'll say murder is so much worse than blasphemy. And God actually will turn that upside down. So even our moral, ethical thinking still needs training because we, we don't know the right way to go. And that's what Paul's saying here. Keep studying, keep studying, keep reading, keep hearing from God. Otherwise, what will not happen? 
according to this. Yeah, you'll make no progress. But he says here that all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So if you are not in the scriptures, you will not be adequate or equipped. That's what he's saying. What does it mean to be adequate? Up to, yeah, you're up to it. You're, so you're, you're enough for it. You, you can do it. You're enabled to do it. What does it mean to be equipped? You have everything you need. So what will you get from studying the Bible that will be everything you need for every good work? Because now it's not that you'll understand the scriptures or know truth. This is what you're going to do with it. So what is it that the scriptures will enable and equip you for the work? And wh- how will they do that? Yeah. Okay, so that will that's how it'll equip you and make you able to know him. But God created work in in advance for us to do, didn't he? Ephesians 2 verse 10 that he created good works in advance for us to do. So those good works will be different for each one of us. So how will the scriptures enable and equip us for those good works? Yeah. Exactly, to answer, to speak in the way that, yeah, uh, yeah. But how else? How will it equip you? How else will it do that? You will. So, yeah, certainly the word that is going in will start to come out of your mouth because you'll become so familiar with it and you'll understand and the Lord will bring it to your remembrance. So think about that in terms of what sort of good works are you doing and where are you doing them? Sorry, it might be that my mind's a bit weird. I don't know. But think about where are you ministering? Where are you doing the good works in your daily life? So you live on this planet, which is actually enemy territory. You live in enemy territory. Paul has already talked about the soldier in active service. So this is his picture. We're all soldiers in active service, and we're in enemy territory. And, And very often we may be on the front line. So how will the Word of God equip you whilst you are on the front line or even on the battlefield somewhere to do the work that God has called you to do. Yeah, so you'll have the full armour of God. That's the first thing. You'll, be, you'll remember, I'm, I'm living in enemy territory. You only have to read the scripture a little bit to know that this is not where you belong. You belong in heaven. So, yes, so you're going to be thinking about the, the armour. What else? Yeah, strengthens our faith. Think about the soldier more with the armor. What is the uh, weapon? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, so you're going to be equipped with the, for the good work you're going to do because you're going to have not just the knowledge of the whole word of God, but the individual words of God that you need in your individual situation, which will be different, all of us. All of us will have different scriptures that the Holy Spirit will bring to our mind. So... When will that stop? When will you not be in enemy territory? <laughs> when you die, when, when you go through the door called death, that's when it will stop. So how much do you need to study the scriptures? How often? All the time. That's Paul's point. It, you know, it, you can't read this book like any other and say, well, I know it. And I know you, I know, you know that because you're here. So <laughs> but, but in order to keep reminding ourselves of that, we have to keep reading the book. And the more we read the book... 
Exactly. It's like bridge. Have you ever played bridge? The more you play bridge, the more you know. You don't know the bridge. You don't know all the different combinations of, of every hand that you could play. To become a master at bridge, it takes years and years and years, and you have to practice and practice and practice. Think about concert pianists if you don't like bridge. That's how, lo how long does it take to make a concert pianist? Exactly. So, or a ballerina, or whatever. It takes li a lifetime to do that. If you stop, you, st yeah. you get yourself into really bad trouble. There you go. So that's the... That, you know, find a picture that suits you, and then put, get, remember that picture, because that's the picture Paul's trying to paint us. Don't stop studying the word. Don't get complacent. And actually, when you think about it, that's what God's been saying since the beginning. What did it hint to Joshua? He said, be strong and courageous. Do not let this word of the Lord you know, part from you. Meditate on it day and night. Then you will make your way successful and you will, you will prosper. It's the same all the way through the scriptures. Study the word, study the word, study the word. Do the word, do the word, do the word. It's, it's, it's always the same. And... Um, and the Bible is not just to teach you doctrine, and Paul's concentrating on doctrine, but the doctrine that the Bible teaches us is what? Sorry, yeah, that's a bit of a weird question. <laughs> it's truth, but it's... Yeah, it's truth about God. It's truth about Jesus. And it's more than that, actually, because a study of the Word of God facilitated by the Holy Spirit within us doesn't just teach us about God... It, it grows that intimacy with God. So it's not just a, a textbook about how to put together a car engine so that you would... It, it's the, there's the relationship building because God is actually speaking through the Bible. That's something that people who don't study the Bible, they never understand. God is actually speaking, even now, through this word. And that's just incredible to think about. So... Um, the Word of God equips us, it makes us adequate to do the work, and uh, Paul's writing this to Timothy, saying that this is important because times are getting worse and worse, harder and harder, more and more stressful. And so um, he's already gone through from verse 10 onwards, and he'd started before this, to tell Timothy two things, separate from what is false and follow what is right. Separate yourself from things that are not right and follow what is right. Um, now, how, how does that work in terms of the scripture then? Because everything connects, doesn't it? He's writing one letter to one person, knowing that it's going to get passed around. But the whole letter connects. It's not just a lot of different thoughts. It's a, a, a connecting um, message that Paul wants to give Timothy. So avoiding what is um, evil and following what is good or avoiding uh, error and following the truth, how does that link with all scripture is God-breathed? Well, it's the only way to know what is right, to know what is good and to know how to follow. So really you don't even know how to follow what is good unless you know the scripture. And you don't know what is false unless you know the scripture. Because... Difficult times, times of stress, the sort of stress that we're facing now is not necessarily the people coming and going to chop our heads off, which they're facing in other parts of the country. We have been assaulted with chaos and confusion 
in, inside and outside of the church. And so it's become more and more difficult to separate what's right and what's wrong. Because you can have a conversation with people about moral issues and they can come back to you with what sounds really good. It sounds tolerant, it sounds uh, fair. I had a conversation with my son and his wife and my husband just last night. We were talking about the transgender uh, uh, whole thing and, and I, could, I listened to my son and on a human level I was really proud of him because he put across his argument really well. But it was just complete nonsense because it disregarded God. But he has this idea and what he's coming out with is we need to have a society where everyone gets equal opportunity, where no one is persecuted, where everyone can do and be who they are. And we need to be living in a society that will promote equality, not just allow it, but promote equality. So his argument, from a human perspective, was so good. Yeah, but so this is what I'm saying. Unless you know the scripture, you have no way to come back at that, because the only way you can come back at that is with the truth of God. And you know, so and that's even hard to do when you do know the scripture. So if you don't know it, you're just stuck. And that's where we are today. And that's why it's stressful. It's stressful to have these conversations. And I can imagine that people going into churches are finding it really difficult because. You know, how could they even possibly begin if they don't know the word of God? So Satan, who has, has been very successful in getting the, ch the Bible out of, out of our culture, has now got it out of our church. And so imagine, I, I mean, you, we are just ill-equipped to deal with the enemy. Yes, it is. No, but, but the thing is, the church is the body of Christ. And so if the church... If the church has decided the that we don't need the scriptures, then the church is seriously in trouble because it is the only way. What they say is that they don't want to preach Jesus' doctrine, but I mean... <laughs> yeah. That's what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. But how can we actually know the truth and know what it is to be a Christian yeah. and know how we're supposed to live? Yeah, exactly. And there are people, and some of them go to our church, Yeah. Exactly. There you go. There you go. There you go. So, um, the church will always be under attack. It always has been and it always will be until the Lord Jesus returns. And it is our job to make sure that we are equipped. That's the thing. God has given us everything we need. So, if we are losing the battle, it's because we have not taken up what we need. It's not because God has failed us. It's that we haven't picked up what we need. Yes. Yes. Exactly. 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 Of course. Exactly. Mm. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. We do. Mm, it is. But the thing is, we don't know those things, Anne, unless we know the word. You don't know them, actually. 
you may have a hint or an instinct that something's not right, but you won't be able to point it out to anyone. So actually, um, yeah. So yeah, um, when I first became a Christian, um, we used to have a midweek Bible study, and no. most churches don't do that. No. And, it, and you know, you were if you were a member of that church, you were expected to be there. Yeah. But now um, they do have groups. Yeah, that's the word, fellowship groups. And actually, in our church, um, the the group that we that I go to had to fight a battle to say that we almost were a group that was going to study the Bible yeah. and prayer. Yeah. And they wanted us to do this, do that, do the other. Yeah. And it was only through the tenacity of of the person who leads there, who actually is one of the older Christians who comes from. Well, she comes from Wales, so I think she comes from quite a you know, Bible-bashing community. And um, she just she just said, well, then we're not going to have the group. And, mm. and so... Um, so you're doing it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And we just said, well, we'll still meet, but mm. we just won't be one of your groups. And in the end, it was sort of like holding a gun yeah. to their head. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And we, we do do some good, good, good. So the thing is about the scriptures... <laughs> the thing about the scriptures is that they create, first of all, they bring about and then they grow the relationship with God. And what should be happening from a study of the scriptures is that we should be falling in love with God. Yeah. We should be absolutely passionate about God and about making him known. Jesus, I, Jesus and God are synonymous in this conversation. So we should be passionate about... Um, sharing the gospel, not because we're told to share the gospel, but because we know that this is such a, man, a, a fantastic thing. And, and that's also one of the things that not studying the Bible has taken, ripped out of the church. It's taken the passion out and the love. They couldn't stop talking about what they'd seen and heard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I think I said last time we have to be passionate about, about God, passionate about our relationship with him, passionate about the word. Now, you can't create passion. What are you going to do? You, know, you just can't, okay, I'm going to be passionate today. You can't. But passion is created in you by God who's feeding you with the word and by his spirit is stirring you up. And remember at the beginning of this letter, Paul said to Timothy, stir up. Fan into flame the gift of God that you were given right in the beginning. Now that, what he's, he's gone on to tell Timothy is that you do that partly by studying the word of God. And that God will stir up, he will fan the flames of what's already there. And, and so us studying the Bible, you know, hopefully that's what you're ending up with. You're ending up loving God more. Because if that's not the case, then actually you're next to useless in the kingdom of God. <laughs> I hate to say that because nobody will take from you just hard, cold doctrine. People don't want it. They won't listen to it. What they want is someone who knows the truth, who lives the truth, and who loves the truth. You have to love what you're about God. You have to love him, and you have to love his truth, and you have to love the people that he loves, because you, and you have to want them to know God. So if you don't have that passion, I think I said this last time, if you don't have that passion, I mean, we should be praying for it. 
I hate that word should, and I've used it, I think, five or six times, haven't I, in this last sentence. So, but really, if we don't have that passion, and I don't have that passion every day, I don't. But I feed that passion by the Word of God. I feed it with the Word of God. And I ask God to create in me that passion. Because I know that no amount of hard, cold facts will bring anyone to Christ. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Maureen. Yeah, that's lovely. It is. It's our breath as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, we're going to be challenging. We're going to be exhorting people. We're going to be loving people. We're going to be encouraging people. And all of it to encourage them first into the relationship with Christ and then onward in that relationship to grow them up. And um, no matter what the walls people put up, no matter how defensive they are, the basic bottom line truth is every person who has ever been born needs to know God. That's the truth. Yeah. Um, Jesus said, and, and this is eternal life that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So there's no, that's not a question, oh, do they really need to know about Jesus? Everybody needs to know God, everybody. And the thing they need to know is not that they're headed to hell without him, although that's true. The thing they need to know is that because without him, they're desperate in desperate darkness, God came for them because he loved them so much. He came for them. And, and so the gospel that we preach is not a gospel that's full of judgment. And this is what's going to happen if you don't believe. And, you know, hell is your destiny and all of that. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that God took on flesh and dwelt among us to die for us because he so loved the world. That's the gospel of grace. Um, and that's what, what Paul wants Timothy to preach. So all of the correcting he's telling Timothy to do and all of the gentle correction, which he, which he talked about in chapter 2, um, correcting those in opposition and hoping, is all within the church, outside of the church, the only one thing people need to know is you need God and you need him because he will love your socks off. He is the best thing for you. They yes, yes, yes. That's it. Draws them in, absolutely. And people need to know that love of God because in our day, although you might not recognize it, people are desperately lonely and very afraid. And they need to know God's love. And really, if we don't talk about it, and if we don't promote the, the speaking of God's love, who will? Because Satan does not want us to know this and doesn't want people to know it. It's only after people become believers and come into the family of God that you can start hitting them. Well, if, well that was really good, because actually you were on a road that was going towards hell and judgment. That's not what you need to tell them up front. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, God could have spoken from heaven with a booming voice. You know, you better watch out because judgment is coming. But he didn't. He came to earth as a human being 
because he wanted to show his love, not just speak his love. So all these things are really important, and we only know these things from Scripture. You don't know them any other way. You know them because you, you know the Word, and you know what God wants us to know. So make it your business to stoke the fires of passion in you. Um, so, And I think, honestly, I've got to know you. You'll be amazed at what God will do through you. You'll be absolutely amazed at what he'll do. Um, so, chapter 4. Let's get into chapter 4. Um, somebody read the first, um, let's say, nine verses. Yeah, nine verses. Eight verses, please. One to eight. Anybody? Thank you. Um, it's hard to see how Paul could have put more weight into a statement than he has in this first verse of, um, of chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So um, Paul is kind of making this next uh, appeal to Timothy on the very weightiest basis on the on the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and then he names three things um, in the light of and in the light of these three things he's calling Timothy to understand what what God wants him to do so what are the three things he says yeah no the th in light of so he's saying preach the word because of these three things so he said i solemnly charge you in the presence of god and of jesus christ who is to judge the living and the dead so that's the first thing christ is coming back and he will judge the living and the dead there is a coming judgment so this is not for this is not for P uh, timothy to preach to people this is for timothy to know and then make him preach so you and I, as believers in, in Christ, we may not have a preaching ministry or a speaking ministry. You may have a different ministry and a different gift, but you still need to know that there is a coming judgment. There definitely is judgment coming, and that all the people who have not received Christ will face that judgment. So that's one of the things he's saying to Timothy is, because there's a coming judgment, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. So what's the second thing? There's a coming judgment, he says. And connected with that is what? By his appearing. So Christ Jesus himself is going to come and stand on the planet. So there's a judgment coming and it will be executed by Christ himself who will actually stand on this planet by his appearing. That's what he means. He's going to come and he's going to appear and there will be a judgment. Now it's hard for us. This is not for you to go up to the person in the street and say, I want to tell you about Jesus. He's coming to judge and when he lands on the planet, he's going to have two feet on, on the Mount of Olives and the mountain's going to split in half and a river's going to flow out of Jerusalem. I mean, it's just, you're not, we're not to tell people that because it's hard enough for us in the family to understand it, let alone outside the family. No. So, but what we're supposed to understand is because there's a judgment and because Christ is coming and because we know the scriptures and we know that he is coming very soon, we are to be even more ready to be preaching the word. And the word we're to preach is the gospel of the grace of God, which is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. So, so because of the coming judgment, because of the appearing of Christ, and the final third thing, because of... No. His, yeah, his kingdom. So what's he talking about? What kingdom? Because I thought we we're already in the kingdom of God. So kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the millennial kingdom that will definitely come when Christ stands on the planet. So now we've got, he's saying to, he's saying to Timothy, this is why you need to be ready. Be ready to preach the, the gospel in season and out of season. Preach the word because Christ is coming and he's coming soon and he's going to set up his kingdom and all those who have not received him are going to be in trouble. He doesn't go into the tribulation and all the details of how that's going to pan out, but he tells Timothy what Timothy already knows. Remember, there's a kingdom coming, a thousand-year reign of Christ and you don't want to be on the wrong side when he appears. You want to, to you want to be someone who has loved his appearing, so um, so Timothy was to preach the word. That's what he was to do, and and everything in that first verse is to tell Timothy how important this is, and and by extension to tell us, this is how important it is. You see, if I asked you, you know. Do you believe, or Maria's just said that people don't believe that Christ is coming back. Christians don't even think about it. So I mean, it's hard to believe you can be a Christian and not think about Jesus returning, but let's just say they are. You know, even believers don't believe that Christ is returning. Now, why don't believers believe that Christ is returning? Because they haven't read the word. They haven't studied the word. Why don't believers believe in a judgment? Why do they believe that God couldn't judge anybody? I mean, he's loving, he loves everybody. So the worst that will happen is that they'll go into annihilation and they won't know anything. So that's, people believe that as Christians because they don't know the word. So there are, there are, there are preachers that won't preach about the second coming because they, they want it to frighten them so people don't understand it. Yeah. I'm afraid they're not sure. Well, that's the case. That's the, that's the actual reason they're not sure that that's what's going to happen yes. because they don't understand the scripture. 
and they don't believe it. Because actually that's another thing we need to be really careful we understand, and that is that the Bible is clear. It is not that people can't believe, it's that they won't believe. There is no, it is possible for every single human being to receive Christ by believing the gospel. It, well, it is, but it actually... In my father's house? Oh, okay, Corinthians, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, right, <laughs> yeah. My son actually read it out. And, um, you know, people, I know that she would have wanted... Yeah. And, and, and she would have wanted to know, people to know, and there were lots of, even in the family... Non-believers there. That weren't believers. Yeah. Majority of people that weren't believers. And um, we read it out from the Living Bible so that... That people understood, yeah. yeah. So Timothy's to preach the word because of those things that are coming and because he knows that they're coming, he's to preach the word and that's to give him urgency to be ready all times to preach the word. And Paul says in season and out of season. What does he mean by that? Yeah, when it's hard to do and when it's easy to do and when you feel like doing and when you don't feel like doing it. So actually in season and out of season just doesn't mean... You know, it has a lot of stuff in there. You know, that there'll be times when it's hard to preach the gospel and preach the word, but you still must do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it, But it's the be ready. Be ready in season and out of season. So it's actually, in some ways, Paul's saying there really shouldn't be an unexpected moment because if you are aware of your active duty on the battle, battleground you're always going to be ready with something to... And also the, the promise of the Holy Spirit is that he will always give you what to say. So really it's your willingness to be ready that is a, a question here. You know, this is obviously written to Timothy who is going to take over from Paul. So he's going to preach and he's going to teach. And not everyone's going to do that. But the principle applies. Be ready to speak the word when you know, in season and out of season. And um, so did Timothy mean just the Sunday message? Uh, Paul mean just the Sunday message? Because that's interesting within the church. Preach the word. Preach the word. So does he mean only the Sunday message? No, he means all the time. All the time. So if you are actively involved in any sort of ministry, then the word is going to be coming out of you all the time. In order to, for that to happen, what has to happen first? You need to be putting it in all the time. You need to be putting it in all the time. You need to be memorizing scripture. I mean, we've got hundreds of cards upstairs still. You don't even have to buy them. You can just pick them up off the table and take them away and memorize scripture. You know, and it, I know it's hard. It is hard to do. Yes. But, you know, we're not, we're not dead yet, Anne. We're still there and we still have minds and we're still able to do it. Yeah. And, and, and know where it is. 
you know, know where the scripture is because, you know, I know the Bible says that somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where. It's not a lot of help often. So know where the, where the scripture is and know what context it's in. You know, and that, that's not impossible. It, it, the scripture first, then the verse, then the scripture again at the end, the reference, because it's it just, yeah, you're memorizing the whole thing then as one. So anyway, Paul's telling him, um, preach the word in season and out of season. He's already told, them that he told him that he's going to correct those who are in error. He's going to uh, uh, rebuke those who are sinning, and he's going to encourage those who are doing well. So he's already talking to hit Timothy like a pastor. That's, that's a pastor's work. That's what a pastor does. He, he corrects, he rebukes, he encourages, all of those things. Um, and one of the reasons that uh, Paul goes on to say that this is really important is that the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. What does he mean by that? They will not endure sound doctrine. Yeah, it is already here, but so what did Paul mean? I mean, I think it was, must have been partially present when he was writing, because he had... He, he, yeah, so... What does it mean people won't endure sound doctrine? Yeah, I think they take it in, Carol, but they won't endure listening to it. They won't even countenance you standing and teaching them it. So what Paul's saying is... Yes. 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 And because they won't endure sound doctrine, that is, they won't allow you to teach them it or speak it to them, they'll do something to stop that. And what is it here, according to this? They'll, they'll, they'll uh, accumulate for themselves teachers who turn their um, thinking aside to myths. Um, and that word accumulate means heap up. They'll heap up for themselves teachers who say what they want to hear. I mean, that's where we are. People who they will only listen to people who say what they want to hear. They will formulate a belief system that suits them and makes them happy. And then they will find people who say what they have already decided they're going to believe. And um, and that's where we are um, because they don't want to face the truth. Why not? Why do people not want to hear endure the truth? Why not? It's not what they want, but why is it not what they want? Their hearts are hardened, but how have their hearts become hardened? Yeah, they've been infiltrated by the world. The enemy has, has uh, but the enemy has preyed on their own desires. That's uh, for uh, Brenda's medicine. Not, yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> So if you go to Romans chapter 1 and start reading from verse 18 down, you read about people who will suppress the truth in unrighteousness and they will exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So that, yes, Romans 1, 18 through 25. So the thing is, people, it's not just that they don't want to hear truth, it's that because they hear truth, it necessarily reduces them and exalts God. It reduces the person and exalts God. So false teachers are one thing because they want to exalt themselves. But people need to listen to false teaching. You need both. You need a false teacher and listeners. 
Without it, deception can't flourish. So you have to have both. And the people who are listening want to heap up this deception because facing the truth means it becomes not about me, but all about God. And maybe that's not so stark. Maybe it's covered up sometimes by people who want to believe that God wants everybody you know, to, he'll never, there'll be no judgment that uh, he hasn't got any standards or any holiness required because that's too hard on people. We don't want to tell them about holiness, you know, let them get in for a while and then we'll get them to be holy. So it's all different reasons, but ultimately it exalts people and demotes or denigrates God. And that's the reason. That's the reason people don't want the truth. Yes. um, (laughs) There was going to be a judgment on Israel, and they said, "Well, it hasn't happened, and it hasn't happened." Yes. 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 They were told and told and told and told and told. Yeah. And then they said, "Oh, yes, but it isn't happening. We're still here. It's not going to happen in our time." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then it did. Yeah, and then it did. Yeah, yeah. And that's the same as in our day. Peter, we studied Peter last time, didn't we? You know, mockers will come scoffing, saying, where is the promise of his coming? And everything continues just as it has since creation, which, of course, is complete nonsense because we've had the flood in between. But, you know, um, but there is this, this... And that's the attitude, isn't it, in our day? That's the attitude. And people will accumulate teachers to tell them that because what we're t- always trying to do is build ourselves up and if we can get past that even, so with a slightly loftier motive, we want to raise people. We want to, you know, build people up. And, but at the expense of God. Once people are the focus and not God, we are in trouble. You're in trouble. And that's what's happened. Yeah. Of course. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't hide from the truth. That's the problem. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know. Yes. Yeah. I think the thing is as well to understand that um, deception deceives. (laughs) You know, false teaching deceives. So it may be, it it comes about because people actually, um, they're uncomfortable with the truth because God puts his his hand on something and they don't want to change, whatever the reason. They, They start to be deceived. And once you start to receive deception, you are more and more able to receive more and more and more. And actually you start to like the deception because it covers your discomfort and your guilt. And it it makes you start to think, because you're with a whole load of people who all believe the same as you, and so you start to think, well, maybe they're wrong and not us. Maybe we're all right. And so it just helps you to be comfortable in your sin or even in your deception if it it doesn't include sin. Yes, yes. Yes. So, um, 
Yeah, so that's what people do. They're going to accumulate. He says here they'll accumulate false... It's wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And, um, you know, Paul wrote about truth in all of his... It's to First Timothy... To, uh, sorry, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. He wrote about truth. He used the word truth so many times that you know that that was really a concern for him then let alone us now. So, um, as I said before, you know, in order for deception to flourish, you have to have the teacher and the listener. And so that's where we are. We have a lot of listeners and many teachers teaching um, falsehood. And it doesn't look false often. You know, I mean, how many people do we know who are involved in churches who are trying to do good? They are really trying to do good. And they are... Um, you know, you go into that church, you hear, maybe you hear the gospel and you believe the gospel and you actually become a believer, a baby Christian. And immediately you're sent out, well, you know, God will have gifted you. So where's, what's he gifted? How do you feel? What do you, what do you think might be yours? And you, can, you can just do this test and, uh, or this program and we'll teach you what your gifts are. And then we'll give you a ministry to put your gifts into. And so what they'll do is, with all good motives, what they seem to be good motives, They'll be starting people out on the street. I told you in Japan, you know, making rice balls for the homeless on the rivers and and um, serving here and serving there and just running around like mad things, trying to do good. And they are believers, but they've de been deceived into thinking it's what you do that makes you a good Christian. And that's also... So it's not just all about sin. It's also about total deception by the enemy that makes you think it's what you do and, and where you do it that is really important. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But that's my, that's my next point. The reason we study the Word of God and the reason we disciple new believers is because we don't know what to do unless God tells us. You don't know what to do. You have no clue what God will want you to do or what he'll do through you until you, he tells you. So that's why we have, to, we have to study the word so that we can know what God wants us to do. What is the good work he created in advance for us to do? And if you don't do that, you're going to start to think that about the body of Christ and the work of the church in terms of human need rather than in terms of eternity. And, th and that's where we are as a church too. We have lots of sincere believers who are just flooding into areas where there is great human need and they are trying to fix and, and cover the need at the expense of the reality of the truth of eternity. So we are combining, you know, with Muslims. We're all, you know, because we're letting them into our churches because we all worship the same God and we're going to help the community. We're going to help each other to love each other and live together in tolerance and, and friendship. But you see what that does? That says to every Muslim who comes into the building of the church, you're okay where you are. But you're not okay. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Exactly. It's that you're not okay as a Muslim. You are headed for eternity in hell. Now, I'm not saying we should tell them all that. But if we don't know that, we're going to be doing what's going on in our church. We're going to be 
thinking, well, we can, it's a good thing. We can get together, we can talk, we can learn about each other's faith, we can lift each other up and encourage each other. And it's all, it's all the work of Satan. It is all the work of the enemy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, you can't read the whole Bible and hold to that. You just can't read it. So you might be able to pick a sentence. No, I know you can't. I know. Yes, I know. But that's what's going on. That's what's going on everywhere. Yes, of course. Oh, right, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yeah. But it's the church's fault, Simon. It's not the government's fault. It's not. It's not the people in power. It's the church at fault because the church is aligning itself with all of this, and and that's why we're going where we're going. So, yeah. But what I'm saying is, there's no church of standing up and saying, "No, this is wrong. We cannot do this." Oh, right, yes, yes. Yes, I think there are... Yeah, there, that's what I mean. There are individuals doing that, but the church as a whole is not doing that. I mean, you've got the whole Catholic church going to work with the Muslims. I mean, actually actively saying we're going to... You know, so the whole thing is a mess. The whole thing is a mess. Yes, of course, of course. Well, I said to you, I think, once before, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's a horrifying percentage of uh, ministers within the Church of England who do not believe in the resurrection. Now, I mean, I think something like 65%, 75%. Well, that's what I mean, they have no faith. Paul says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is in vain. So, you know, yes. So, so... Um, so that will happen too if we don't understand the word, if we don't know the word. And we will also, as I said earlier, make our assessments on things according to our own morals and ethics. That's what we'll do. And that, that is often and almost always completely upside down to God's perspective and his decisions. So um, as we study the Bible, what should be happening is we should be loving God more, wanting to, to ask him for this passion for him and for his word. But also, alongside that, we should be fi finding that we are increasing in spiritual discernment, that we do more easily spot the error, and that actually we're not only increasing in the discernment to see what's wrong, but that we are increasing in the ability to rectify what's wrong by our speech and by our action. So it's because, you know, spiritual discernment is a gift for a particular purpose. 
And, you know, for those who have the discerning of spirits, for example, which is a spiritual gift, they are given that gift so that they can distinguish between the work of Satan and the work of God. And so that they can inform and warn the body of Christ that this is not the work of God, but this is. But discernment, general discernment, that it's just what we should be growing in as we study the word, should enable us to do much the same thing on a human level. We should be able to hear something and know that's wrong. I, I, I may not be exactly sure why it's wrong, but I know it's wrong. And I should be able to go to the scriptures and say, ah, it's wrong because of this. Yes, yes, because the Holy Spirit is, is telling you that. So as we do this studying for ourselves, we're finding we're loving God more, we're growing in our discernment, and then by extension in our wisdom, because we are learning how to use the Word of God and how to apply it in different things. And as that's happening, what else is happening? As you individually are studying and learning and receiving from the Holy Spirit, what else is the Holy Spirit doing? Maturing you. And as he's doing that, what's he doing? Yeah, all of that good. But he's also building up the body of Christ. He's building up the church from the inside. So what's happening is we are all growing in our love for God, in our faith, in our understanding, in our wisdom, in our discernment. And my growth helps you. And your growth helps me. And so what we're finding is this army of believers is becoming pretty mighty because we can spot the error from a from hundred yards. I can see an enemy plane in the sky. I don't have to wait until it gets to drop its bomb. I know that's an enemy plane. And so together, we're not only understanding for ourselves, but I'm able to protect you and you're able to protect me and we are able to, to grow as a body of, of believers. And what did Jesus say? I will build my church. And that's the way he does it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it because he builds it from the inside by his word through his Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said, didn't he, in John, when he's, he's with his intimate disciples and he's, he's teaching them the last lot of stuff that he wants them to know, um, John 13 through John 17 and 18, um, and he, in John 13, he washes their feet and then at the end of that session, he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, so if we love one another in the body of Christ, not the people outside, the inside the body of Christ. My loving you is not just a fuzzy feeling. My loving you is moving and working in the gifts that God has given me. My loving you is protecting you and, and encouraging you and, and setting you on the right track. And my loving you is, is being able to say, do you know what, I was wrong and I'm really sorry and I know I offended you and I, I would give anything not to do that again. So all of that is involved in loving each other. It's being humble to one another. It's me saying, you know, me deciding to put you first. You know, all of that is what Christ said would make everybody know that we were his disciples. And more than that, doing all of that is so attractive to other people. It's so attractive, yes, because it's the opposite of, of the world. So what do you think Jesus will do with a group of believers who actually live that way? He'll grow them up and add to their number.
We would have people banging on the door if we lived like that and spoke like that. You wouldn't be able to keep them away. They would want to find out about these people who really believed this and lived this. And I'm not talking about going into a commune or, you know, sharing all everything we've got, putting it in a pile and, you know, letting Simon sort it out. I, I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying really, truly to care for each other and to love each other and to actually live like we believe what we're reading. Because that's what this call is all about with Timothy. It's not about just knowing truth. It's about living truth. It's about really living the truth so that it draws other people in and builds up the body of Christ. You know, we wouldn't have to worry so much about false teaching if we actually were living what we know is true right now. We wouldn't. If we were living that, we would be expanding. I mean... You know, we would just be growing and growing and growing. That the church would become stronger and stronger and stronger. We would we would know that. You know, if I get into trouble, uh, Maria and John and Brenda, they've got my back, and so I'm not afraid now to go and stand up and say these things. I know that together we can do these things. We would be just in a totally different place. But it's because we live in a culture that is so individualistic, and we have just imported that into the church that we have a situation where the church is weak because, because the individual believers are living individually for themselves. And that was never meant to be, never. The church has always been a family. And, you know, you know in your parents' days or grandparents' days, my, my mum was one of 13 children. They all lived in, not abject poverty, but they were very poor. And they cared for one another. And if one didn't have work, everybody, you know, chipped in. And that's how it was. It was, yeah, it, that's how family was when my mother and my father were children. That's how the church should be. We should be like that with one another. And if we were like that, what we would find is that people were drawn to us. They would be drawn to us. And, and when they're drawn to us, we would be able to give them the truth that would set them free. That's where we need to be. That's what, I, that's what we need to be. Really, literally, we need to be as the family of God here. We need to love and live like this. We need to be determined to do that. Exactly. There you go. There you go. It's exactly that. Um, so, um, we're just going to dip into this. Uh, I wrote far too much for this session, so I'm going to have to hang it over till the next one. But I do want to look, first of all, at a church that lived like that. Because um, uh, we often say, don't we, you know, when, when, you hear, when you're with other Christians, oh, I wish we could take the church back to the, you know, when, when the Holy Spirit first came, the church that you see in Acts. And, well, actually, the church that you see in Acts is, was not always doing the right thing so no church has ever really always done the right thing but there is a church that Paul writes to in scripture that was pretty close and that's the church at Thessalonica and Paul wrote a letter to them he had been there if you read Acts chapter 17 he he went there and he preached the gospel and started the church and there was massive uproar he had to escape to, for his life, because there was all sorts of, it caused, it caused all this uproar and protest. Um, and, but then he wrote to them a few years later because he wanted to know how they were doing, because he knew they were being intensely persecuted. 
um, because they were a church in the middle of a pagan nation and a pagan area. And so he wrote to the Thessalonians. And who was it who said, Mary, it might have been you who said that what we hear in our day is that you can't tell new believers everything about God because they just can't handle it. I hear so many times, well, people can't come to your Bible study because it would just be too much. You know, it's just too much in Scripture. You can't, yeah, so you can't do that. So you have to sort of drip feed a little bit, a little bit, a little bit until they're ready. I mean, apart from the fact that it's so patronizing, apart from that, it's totally error. Because Paul had, was, in this, was with these people for, I don't know, a month, two months maybe, and he taught them everything in that time. New baby believers in the midst of uproar in the, in the city were taught real fundamentals about God. And not just the fundamentals, but the, the whole of the, the word of God, it seems. It's hard to find anything that he wrote to them that you couldn't say, wow, he'd already taught them that? Wow, that's amazing. So just to, just to start with, because we won't get through it all, but just to look at First Thessalonians chapter 1, um, uh, yeah, First Thessalonians chapter 1. Could somebody just read out those? There's only 10 verses, so if you get there first, could you just read chapter 1, the first 10 verses? Thank you. Um, it's quite amazing, First Thessalonians. At the end of every chapter, Paul talks about the the, um, the second coming of Christ. Every chapter in this letter has something about Jesus coming back um, at the end of it. So, um, what was interesting to me is the way he sums them up in um, uh, verse eight. How you, or verse nine? Sorry, for they themselves report about us, what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So these people in Thessalonica had 
turned from idols to God. That means they turned from anything else that they had been worshipping, be that a real idol, a fake religion, or even themselves. They turned from everything else to serve a living and true God. And, and, and what Paul's saying is that, the imagine this, he came to that place with a couple of traveling companions and he preached the gospel and then he stayed there for a while teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching everything he could. And what he told them was enough to have them turn from idols to serve God. But also, look at the three things he says. Verse 6, what does he say? What did they do? They became imitators of us and of the Lord. So these people who he was only with for a very short time, to whom he spoke the gospel, who believed, and then he taught them, they imitated him and the Lord. What's the next thing, verse 8? Or another thing, verse 8. The Lord's message sounded forth from them. So they didn't just receive the truth, they actually spoke the truth out. His message, the message that Paul preached to them was spoken out by them. Now imagine these people, they're new believers. That yeah, they just immediately started imitating Paul and imitating the Lord, which is what he says in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as, you, uh, uh, as I imitate the Lord. So they did that and they started speaking out this message to everyone and anyone they could find. And then also in verse 8, yeah, your faith, what is it? Your faith has become known everywhere. So your faith towards God has become known everywhere. Now I... You know, I mean, I, I know I say this often, but this is a real challenge to us. Has our faith become known everywhere? Well, some of us maybe, but as a church, has our faith become known? Have we turned from idols to serve a living and true God? Are we, as a body of believers, are we doing this? Because they're doing it amidst massive persecution. And, and what he's going to say is, they turned from idols to serve a living true God, and they were waiting for Jesus. That's what he says in verse 10. Waiting, whom he, uh, you served, turned from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So not only did he teach the second coming... But he also taught the wrath that was coming, the judgment that was coming. So these new believers, they got a lot more than the first three lines of the gospel. They got the whole word of God. So when someone says to you that this is a new believer, take it easy, don't tell them too much, you need to not automatically laugh in their face, but you need to understand that God is at work in that person and they are like a sponge. And if you give them the truth, they will just soak it up because they are so new and the Holy Spirit is so real to them, they will want to believe this. Yeah, exactly. So I just, just to, to end here, and we'll finish, take it on in the last time when we meet in a couple of weeks. 
what we see described is a complete reorientation, it's a complete change, a complete change in their thinking. So when Paul got there, what does he tell them about God? I mean, just think, he's got there, he's going to tell them the gospel, so, and they've believed the gospel. So what has he helped them to understand about God? I know it's a hard question, but just kind of think outside the box, think outside the... Yeah, before that, though, before that, when he first gets there and he's, he speaks the gospel to them, when you hear the gospel, what do you know in the gospel? You know that there's a real God, that he is a personal being, and that he loves you. You know that a personal God is alive. He's alive. You know that because the God who took on flesh, who died, who was buried and raised again, that's all the gospel. So you know that this God is alive, that he's real and that he loves you. Okay, what's the second thing that you know? Or another thing that you know? About this God. Yeah, before that, before that. So there's a personal God and he loves you. And this personal God created everything. He created everything. They knew that because they turned from God, turned from idols to serve the living and true God. So they know that he is the creator, the owner, the possessor, the one who should be served and worshipped. He is the He creates the universe, and he created the universe to know and to love him. Okay, what's the third thing? So now we're getting into the gospel message. Paul has taught them there's a real God, and he's a personal being. He has thoughts and emotions and and feelings. And this God um, uh, created everything. And the one who created everything did what? Yeah, he's, he came in the, in the way of his son, in the form of his son. He came, he invaded his creation, if you like. You know, if you imagine it like a Lego thing that kids build, you know. So they build a nice big Lego palace or a castle or whatever it is. Well, the God who built that dived into it and became the centurion on the top of the castle or became the princess in the castle, whichever way you want to picture it. God invaded his own creation. And for the purpose of what? Yeah, yeah, but according to this chapter, if you had to say for the purpose of what, why did Jesus come the first time? Because he wanted to rescue you from the wrath that was to come. Because he wanted to deliver you from what the judgment that was coming if he hadn't delivered you. Because God wanted you not to be separated from him for eternity, and so he came for you. And because he came for you, he rescues you from the judgment that is coming. So, so now, not only did, did God create in the beginning, you also know there's an end. There was a beginning and there's an end. And in the middle of that, it, God came to earth. So think of what he's telling them, these people. Think about what they know, these believers. They know that a personal God lives out of nowhere. He's just Paul has just come and told them, there's a God who created everything and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he came for you so that you wouldn't have to face the judgment that is coming. 
And finally, what does that do for them? You, and you know it did it for them because you know their lives were radically and completely overhauled. What did the gospel message give them or what Paul preached to them? I know it's hard because you've got to get on my train of thought. It transformed them. Yeah, joy, yeah, faith in the Lord. But it gave them meaning and purpose to their lives because now suddenly they're not just aimlessly living out their days knowing that they're going to be fed into the ground and just be fodder for the next lot of generation. They know now that they have an eternal future. So there's a purpose to their life. There's meaning you know, so these people, with that meaning and purpose, would also find joy. You said it, and there's joy in this. Because these are people who had no purpose and had no meaning. And now they have. So think about those things, five things, I think. Just think about those things, and we'll talk about them more in a couple of weeks and break them up a little bit. But those five things, you know, really, you had the gospel preached to you at some stage. And you were told there is a personal God who loves you and he loves you so much that he came in the form of his son and took on flesh so that you, he could live your life, die your death, be raised from that death and offer you eternal life. Have you really found meaning and purpose for your life in that? You know, this is what we're dealing with here. This is the reality of it. This is not just like, well, I wasn't a believer, but now I am. And, you know, my life hasn't really changed much. I still do the same things. I still go and have coffee with my friend, and I still do this, and I still do that. You know, I've still got the same job. Because this is radical transformation. This has taken your life from nothing and given it ultimate, eternal meaning. And you know these people understood it because the word of the message of God went forth from them because everywhere they were talking about this group of people and their faith. So that's the challenge. That's the challenge for the next two weeks. Has this gospel changed you like it changed the Thessalonians? Has it changed you? And, and yeah, so that's good. So then as you're preaching this gospel to other people, we are expecting to see that sort of change in other people. If you don't see that sort of change, maybe they haven't understood the reality of the gospel. Everybody happy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I knew that stuff when I was first preached the gospel. I didn't. I, don't, I didn't have that radical transformation. I've got to be honest, I didn't. You know, that didn't happen overnight for me. It's happening slowly with me. I think with these people in Thessalonica, it was a massive change. But, but I grew up knowing the truth of the gospel. Or not knowing it was true, but having heard the gospel. I heard it at school. I went to Sunday school. I knew the stories. And so it wasn't such an impact to me. But, but the reality of God at work in me, the Holy Spirit at work in me, that should radically change me. He should radically change me. And so I should now be not thinking about my life in terms of my life. It should be all about living and loving and serving God um, and, and, and understanding that I'm here for a purpose. And I can tell you truly, the fact that I have purpose in my life, I mean, that's the greatest joy to me. I, I just, I'm so thankful for that. 
Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Definitely.